Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again. Today's going to be a topical sermon, so be prepared to kind of move about your scripture for a little while. Uh, but I'm going to talk to you today about Christ-likeness. And I'm going to talk to you about Christ-likeness in regard to the series that we're in, which is birthmarks. We've, we've been talking, this is the fifth week now, and we'll finish today about how when we're born, many of us are born with birthmarks. And when we're reborn, there are marks that should exist upon us also. That is, disciplines should mark us. There are things that we should chase after that mark us. And those are our, I'm going to call them rebirth marks here at the, the end of this thing. And we've talked about being a student of the word and what that means. I'm not going to reteach these, but a discipline, a birthmark of being a Christian should be that we are a student of the word, that we're steadfast in prayer, that we're engaged in worship, we are committed to fellowship, and then today, we live in Christ-likeness. This is who we should be because we belong to Christ. These are disciplines that we should pursue. There's a text in Galatians, let me turn to it real quick, that came to my mind as we were worshiping today, and I think it, it speaks well to what I'm about to say Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. If you're a believer, this is what you should be able to say of yourself. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. When he says I've been crucified in Christ, that means I'm not, I don't belong to me anymore. I'm as dead to myself as I could possibly be and alive in Christ Jesus. And if I no longer... It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what he's saying is, Christ crucified should cause me to crucify myself because I, I am in him. And because I am in him, I should live a life that is dead to who I was. Now that requires discipline. Amen? That requires that I make a decision about who I'm going to be. We were talking, Pastor Rick and, uh, and I, before service, and we were talking about discipline. And I, I believe you could whittle down discipline to a very simple definition. And it is this, making a decision one time and sticking with that decision. If I say, I am going to be a student of the word, I only have to make that decision one time because if I have to make it every day, it's not a discipline. It's a continued decision. I get messed up when I go to the gym because I make a decision every day to go to the gym instead of just saying, I'm going to the gym. And so I renegotiate with myself every day, am I going to the gym? Because I haven't decided to make that who I am and what I'm going to do. I haven't decided 
once and intentionally to be a student of the word. I haven't decided once and intentionally to be steadfast in prayer. And so I'm constantly renegotiating with myself who I'm going to be. You know what Christ didn't do? Christ didn't negotiate with himself about whether he was going to be crucified. He decided before he even got here, that he was going to be crucified so that we might be crucified with him, so that we might walk in holiness. And that's exactly what he did. He set his face steadfast towards Jerusalem, knowing that his time had come and went and was crucified. What am I saying? If you're a Christian, this is who you should be. You should be a person of discipline marked by the birth that's been given to you in Christ Jesus. Everybody all right? I need to be very pointed because I, I hear people say all the time, and I'm going to be a little pointed today. I hear people say all the time, this is who I'm going to be, and then they don't be that person. They say, I'm going to do such and such. I am going to commit to this. And then they don't do such and such, and they're not committed to this. You don't have a right to not be committed to the God that committed himself to you if you call yourself a child of God. It's our responsibility to do these five things, to be a student of the word, to be steadfast in prayer, to be engaged in worship, committed to fellowship. And today... To be Christ-like, to be Christ-like. What is it to be Christ-like? It means literally to look like Christ. There is many of you know that my dad and I just recently rebuilt a relationship that we hadn't had since I was six months old. Through no fault of his own, we we fell out of relationship when I was six months old, and so Angela actually found him during the COVID break, and we talked to him. We went down there and visited him. And this is this is what surprised me. Even though I wasn't raised with him, I didn't get to do stuff with him. He didn't teach me anything. I walked like him. I talked like him. My mannerisms are the same as his to a large degree. Obviously, because of our DNA, we look alike. I am my father's child, because we carry the same DNA. I never met him, but act almost exactly, Angela will tell you, even the way he walks with his little weird knees bowed out and stuff, that's, that is something that he never had to teach me. I am that because I am my father's child. We carry the same blood and the same DNA. Guess what? If that's true of my earthly father, that's true of my heavenly father too. We've been covered in his DNA, washed in his blood, and we should carry his mannerisms. We should carry his attitude, his dispositions, his convictions, who he is, his holiness, we should carry. Nobody should have to look at me and say, who does that kid belong to? They should say, I know exactly who that person belongs to because of who he is and what he does. I know he is a Christian because of the way he walks, the way he talks, the things that he does. I know who he is. I was at a store not very long ago, and there was a little girl there. She's probably 16 or 17 years old behind the counter. And I was buying something for my wife, and I went in there, and this 
this little girl looked very familiar to me. Of course, she's 17 years old. I don't know a lot of 17-year-old girls, so I was all, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And then it dawned on me, she looked like a friend of mine. And I said, are you a Hodge? Oh, I worked at the sheriff's office with a guy named Chris Hodge, and she said, yeah, that's my daddy. I said, you look exactly like your daddy. Like, you pick her out of a crowd. She looks exactly like her daddy. And people should be able to do the same thing with us. They should be able to look at us and say, you look exactly like your daddy. Amen? Sadly, so many of us that call ourselves Christians wouldn't be recognized by who our daddy is. And we can do better. And so I want to talk to you about what Christ-likeness looks like and our obligation and responsibility to it in three points today. I want to talk to you about what Christ-likeness looks like, what it acts like, and what it does. The first point I'm going to make today is Christ-likeness is our responsibility. 1 John 2 verse 6 is this, The one who says he abides in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. He's talking about, they're talking about Jesus. Again, the one who says he abides in him. And so I'm going to start this by asking you a question. You can make it rhetorical or you can actually answer it. It's up to you. Do you say that you abide in Christ, that you are a Christian, that you live under the shadow of the Most High? I'll go ahead and make sure that I'm not going to anonymously answer that question. I'll tell you, I believe that I abide on God's holy heel based on the standards of Scripture. Amen? And because I abide in Him, I ought to, myself, walk as He walked. The question is, how did Jesus walk? Holy. I'm going to let that word sit for a minute because it's important. Jesus Christ above all else walked holy. First and foremost, he is holy. He was holy, and because we abide with him, we're expected, expected to act holy too. Amen? Now, what is holy? Holy has three definitions, and here they are. Set apart for God's purpose to be spiritually perfect and pure and to be filled with supernatural power. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus Christ, and the plan of God, you are capable of all of those things. You are capable and expected to be set apart, to live spiritually pure, to be filled with supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and walk in it. Everybody all right? This 8, 30, 8, 8 o'clock crowd, hard to read sometimes. Is everybody okay? Yes. What am I calling to? I'm calling you to the same thing the Bible calls you to, which is the holy standard Jesus Christ set out for us. God has always commanded us to be holy. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 says this, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in your behavior. I think it's interesting. He says, be holy in yourself, but also in your behavior. Thinking about being holy ain't good enough. 
You got to act holy. Because it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. Deuteronomy 18.13, you shall be blameless, which is to say perfect, which is to say holy, before the Lord your God. Matthew 5.48, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This seems intimidating to us because God is telling us, be set apart, be spiritually pure, and be filled with supernatural power by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus. And we still are not good at this, and so it intimidates us. Matter of fact, most of us don't even like the word holy. You would prefer that every time I say the word holy, I'd be all, but you're not there yet, but you'll get there because it makes you feel good about you. And it's true, but the fact of the matter is you should pursue holiness right now. You should pursue perfection right now because you are perfect right now. There's three levels of holiness, just so you know. There's a past holiness, there is a present holiness, and there is a future holiness. There's a positional holiness that was given to you at the time that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are as perfect in that moment as you need to be to get to heaven. Does everybody understand that? That's the past holiness. At some point in your past, you gave your life to the Lord if you're a Christian. Timothy 3, 4 through 5 says this, And when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of our deeds. What's that called? That's called grace which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, which is the motivation for grace, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which is the power of grace. So we are holy, positionally holy, immediately holy, past holy, because of the grace and the mercy and the provision of God. And so you're all, man, I'm, I'm never going to be good enough. You're not going to be good enough. You're not good enough by yourself. But that's why God sent Jesus Christ to give us mercy and grace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may be able to become holy. And so we move from immediate positional holiness to progressive holiness, which is your present holiness. Which means some of y'all still working some stuff out. Anybody in here still working some stuff out? Anybody, or is anybody in here got it all right right now? Then you're either working some stuff out or you've stagnated and need to start working some stuff out. All right, come on, somebody. Progressive holiness. Now, our immediate holiness confuses us because we still do dumb things. It's easy for us to fall into condemnation, to say we don't deserve what God has given us. But let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Everybody say being transformed doesn't say have been transformed. We are being transformed. 
in the same image from glory to glory, which is magnificence to magnificence, from grace to grace, from one good to a better good, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So I'm going to read that all again without me saying a bunch of stuff in it. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Rest confidently in the fact that you are being transformed, removing from one state of awesomeness to another state of awesomeness through Christ Jesus by the plan of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear me say that several times because it's impossible to be Christ-like if you aren't in the plan of God, covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You need to submit yourself to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to be all that God has called you to be, and you need to do it continually and consistently, transformed, which means moved from one state to another state, that have your nature changed. You know, the Bible says that you're no longer the same person that you were, did you have a new nature about you? Because we have a new nature about us, we should be constantly working on the nature that is within us by the plan of God, through the work of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to make sure that you're not walking in condemnation because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. God knew before he saved you, you were going to sin. Let's say that again. God knew before he saved you, you were going to sin. So he gave you and continues to give you grace and the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit to overcome those deficiencies in you. That's a God that loves you. I've done this before. Let me put this on a timeline because some of us beat ourselves up. Imagine this is all of eternity. Well, let's just say from the time of God's plan to save you, whenever that happened, foundations of the earth, whenever that happened, to eternity. Sometime after he made a plan to save you, he sent Jesus to save you. Sometime after that, you were born. Sometime after that, you were saved. Sometime after that, you sinned. And then sometime after that, you sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned. Did you know God's not bound by time? That he sees all of those times at the same time? Which means that God loves you enough and desires to mold you and make you who you are and who he desires you to be so badly that he made that plan seeing you sin at the same time. Jesus Christ was on the cross watching you sin at the same time and decided to save you anyway. That blows my mind. That God, knowing that we would rebel against him, even after we said we loved him, would still determine to set his love on us. That is transformation. That's a desire through that God holds to transform us by his plan through the work of Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm grateful for it. 
Because I stand up most every day and I go, hmm, got that wrong yesterday. I didn't do what I should have done yesterday. I fell short yesterday. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I did today. But you know what? Grace. I don't sin for the sake of grace, but I'm thankful for grace. Amen. We don't abuse grace, but we love God that he determines to give us grace. And for us to walk in condemnation, knowing that God sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, seems like a slap in the face to an almighty God whose plan is bigger than your condemnation. Somebody needs to write that down. That's good. Because somebody's beating herself up today. Somebody was beating herself up yesterday. If y'all were here Wednesday night, y'all know I was beating myself up Wednesday. But my God is bigger than my sin. But it doesn't mean he expects me to walk in my sin. He's given me every tool necessary to ensure that I can walk free of my sin. So we have immediate, let's get back to the point, we have immediate uh, holiness. We have intermediate holiness, which is that progressive holiness, which is still happening within us. And all of that exists for the wonderful thing that we call eternal holiness. I praise God. That his plan isn't just to save me, but it's to keep me. That this is what the Bible says in regard to eternal holiness. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, this is what I praise God for. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then when the perfect comes, face to face, Close your eyes if you can imagine what being face-to-face with your Savior looks like. Face-to-face with a God that is so beautiful, he literally is the light source in heaven whose nature is love and you are completely surrounded and engulfed by it. But then, face-to-face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been known fully. There's going to be a time in our future, man, where we're going to walk in such Christ-like holiness that we will be perfect as he is perfect, face-to-face with him, to know and to be fully known. That's beautiful, man that the creator God of the universe decides it, not just that we be fully known because he's fully known us our whole life, but that we will fully know him. I was talking to somebody about theology the other day and we were arguing little little pieces of what I would call second tier, maybe third tier theology. And I said, listen, man, at some point we're all going to get to heaven and within 10 seconds, God's going to fix all our theology anyway. All of us got something messed up. Think we know something we don't know. But when I'm face to face with God and he shows himself to me, those areas, even those areas where I thought I was walking in holiness, God will make perfect in me. 
so that I'd be exactly like Christ Jesus and exactly like Christ Jesus for all eternity in regard to holiness. Amen. Mm. And it's a promise to us, eternal holiness. This is the promise, 1 John 2, 25. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. Mm. Number two. If being Christ-like means walking in holiness, then Christ-likeness means to do as Christ has done. John 13, 15 says, For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did. This is Jesus talking. For I gave you an example that you should also do, just do as I did to you. Although Jesus had every right to do so, he never lorded over the population of those he came to serve. In fact, he told his disciples in Matthew 20 through 25 that they aren't to do that. And if they do that, then they are no better than the people that are oppressing them. Jesus's mission was to come to serve man, to show man what grace and mercy and compassion looks like, to show that whatever margin, whatever space, whatever availability you have, whatever you've been given by the glory and the grace of God has been given to you to give away to other people. It's, it's the reason why we encourage you to give of your time, of your finances, and of your talent. Because anything that you have You've been given by the grace and mercy of God. That is your act of service to God. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. Jesus came to give everything he was away so that whatever you lack, you may no longer lack. And he did it beautifully and in every moment of his life. I love this. I wrote some things down here. Jesus washed feet. Our Jesus washed feet. Jesus healed them all, including, according to Luke 4.40. Jesus confronted the brokenhearted in John 4.28 through 29 when he meets and comforts the woman at the well. Jesus fed the 5,000 in Matthew 14. Jesus gave his life as a ransom in Matthew 20 through 28. He literally poured his life out as an act of service to us. And who are we to do any less? Because he didn't have to do any of it. You're all, man, I ain't got time for that. Don't you know how busy I am? Don't you know how important I am? Don't you know how people look up to me? Don't you understand my platform? I don't have time to serve. Servant is beneath me. If you've ever had this attitude, let me read this to you. Have this attitude, this disposition, this outlook, this perspective in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, 
Have any of you ever existed in the form of God? Then you should serve. Because even though he existed in the form of God, he still served. Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant, he became a slave. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. You know what the primary attribute of a servant is? Humility. It's recognizing that something, someone, most everyone, everyone is more significant than you. Jesus recognized that your salvation was worth his service. Is someone else's salvation worth your service? That's a tough question because it causes me to cut all the pride out of me. All this self-esteem, all this concern about what people are going to think about me. Well, what if I talk to sinners? Well, what if you talk to sinners? Then you'll be just like Jesus. And who wants that reputation? Anyway, continue on. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. He didn't just humble himself. He was humbling himself according to the plan of God. And it's the plan of God that we be humble too. To the point of death, even death on a cross. So what am I saying? I'm saying if you're going to be Christ-like, you got to be doing what Christ did. You got to be willing to say my position doesn't matter. You got to be willing to say whatever I have is yours to have. Whatever I need to do to humble myself to ensure that you are raised up, I will do. Whatever margin I have belongs to you. Whatever time, talent, or treasure, if you need it, you can have it. You know why? Because Jesus did those things. And if I'm going to be Christ-like, I got to walk as Christ walked. Amen? Everybody all right? I'm trying to challenge you today. People need to see Jesus in us. I, I can't tell you how sick and tired I am of living in a world that is no longer post-Christian, it's pre-Christian. Which means the vast majority of the people in our society have never heard the gospel message at all. And a lot of them that have heard the gospel message have heard it from the mouth of someone condemning them while being vile to them. While judging them. You know, it's not our job to judge. It's going to mess a lot of people up. You can't judge me. You can judge other believers, but you know what you're supposed to do to the unbeliever? The only thing you're told to do for the unbeliever is to love them and preach the gospel to them. We judge each other. Once I identify myself as a Christian, then it's D.W.'s responsibility to judge me. It's Ken Young's responsibility to judge me. It's John Reddit's responsibility to judge me, to say, brother, you called yourself a Christian, and you ain't acting like one of my brothers. This ain't the house that you live in. We have to walk as Christ walked. 
so that others may want to walk as Christ walked. People are saying, I saw a bumper sticker not very long ago that said something along the lines of, I don't have a problem with Christ, but I don't care much for his people. That's shameful. You know why? Because we haven't gotten ourselves out of the way enough for them to see Jesus. And how do we do that? How do I move myself out of the way so they can see Jesus? Humble myself. Take the same attitude in me that is in Christ Jesus, even at, especially at, my own expense. Matthew chapter 28 or 25 reads like this. We need to understand that we'll be judged by the way we serve. When the king, this is 25 starting 34, when the king will say to those on his right, come, you who have are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Now let me get this right. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He said, inherit the kingdom. And then the next verse says, for, which is to say because, because, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. I was a widow and you visited me. I was in prison and you visited me. How will you know? How will you be judged by the way that you serve other people? Because they ask this, and the righteous man will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? Blah, blah. And so he, they just ask all these questions. He says, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers, the least of these, the way to the extent that you served them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Man, that's a condemning word right there. Next time you have an opportunity to serve someone, love them, treat them with kindness and don't, I want you to go back and read this text. This text, Because if you're not willing to water them, feed them, clothe them, visit them, then I would question the love of Christ in you. Certainly the Christ-likeness in you. Amen? Did we love our neighbor as ourselves? That's the question we should be asking. And then finally, verse or number three, Christ's likeness assumes Christ's mission. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, coming out of the desert, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was coming out of the desert after his 40 days in trial. And it says, from that time forward, he began to preach and call for repentance. We have to declare the message of Jesus Christ. That's Christ's mission. What is our mission? This is how we verbalize our mission, right? 
to be a place where people can come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. But can I tell you, that is a lot of words to say our actual mission, which is to make disciples. Every church in America, they verbalize it differently, but if your actual mission statement isn't as simple as make disciples and mature them, you have missed the mark. You say, well, you forgot baptism according to the Great Commission. Let me tell you, part of making disciples and maturing them is maturing them past the first step of their maturation to being mature. Our responsibility, listen to me, I'm talking about self-multiplication. I'm talking about multiplying Christ through you. Your responsibility, if you are to be Christ-like, is to assume Christ's mission, to be a disciple maker who helps mature other disciples. Now here we do that by being a place where people can come to know God so that they can find freedom, so that they can discover their purpose, so that they can make a difference. So this is the maturing process. Find God, make disciples, find freedom, discover their purpose, maturation, make a difference, which is to cause them to make disciples also. Guys, we gotta get, a, we gotta get bold with who we are as part of our discipline, as part of our birthmark. If you belong to Jesus, you should act like Jesus. You should talk like Jesus. You should walk like Jesus. You should have the mannerisms of Jesus. You should have the holiness of Jesus and the mission-minded service of Jesus. But can I tell you, you can't do that if you don't have Jesus. You can't do that if you don't have Jesus. You know who I don't look like? I don't look like D.W.'s daddy. I have a daddy. And I look like my daddy. We should all look like our father. We should all aspire to look like our father. To walk and talk and act like our father. But you can't do that if you don't know who your father is. So I'm going to ask, do you know who your father is? Because you can't be a student of the word because it's the word is a spiritual thing. You'll never understand it if you don't have a relationship with God. You can't be a person of prayer with the exception of a prayer of salvation if you don't have a relationship with your father. If you don't have these other disciplines, you can't fellowship with other believers because you don't have unity in the spirit with other believers. You have to know who you belong to to be who you're supposed to be.